Welcome to season four of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez, and in this show, we'll be talking to some real life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and not maybe, but definitely feelings of helplessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this moment than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. Welcome to November 1st, Sunday, also known as All Souls Day. Uh, This is the day before Day of the Dead, the day after Halloween, and sort of that time where we begin to remember those who are still here in some way, shape, or form, or at least we want them to. And it just so happens that because it's 2020, it's also an election year. And we are, much like All Souls Day, waiting for those who are still here to maybe not be anymore. We are joined by my good friend. Some might say my best friend. Perhaps they might say my best friend. Aaron O'Brien coming to us from Los Angeles. And I had to start the interview right away because Aaron and I were doing a little pre-interview talk to which I was lamenting over my sadness, anger, disappointment, and very low-key rage at the fact that Aaron this afternoon had fresh fish just caught delivered to their house where they then made sushi hand rolls. Not only did they get this fresh fish, which I do not have access to, landlocked in Reno, Nevada, but they took pictures of this, as folks do these days, and posted it on Instagram for us all to see. Aaron, what I'd like to remind you of before I ask you your first question is, we're in a global pandemic where travel and eating our favorite foods and our much needed just protein intake of fresh, amazing fish is not accessible to everyone now and maybe never again. So what you thought was such a pretty picture and such an amazing event for you was actually the scariest picture I have seen all Halloween weekend. It was a fright, scariest small series of Instagram posts. How are you, my friend? How was the fish? I have to say I'm, I'm very good. And yesterday was a a really just the universe has been so generous. You don't I had say. a really good day of eating yesterday, and I'm, really? I'm not mad about it in the slightest. Mm. Mm. I mean, uh, just go ahead. Just go ahead. Let's just get this out of the way. Band-aid it, if you will. So please go rather fast. What did you eat yesterday? And go ahead, today. That was so good. Well, um, uh, my friends texted and said their nephew had just caught a giant tuna please come get some. And I didn't want to go empty handed. So I whipped up a batch of cookies. So I brought over half a dozen cookies and I got like maybe a pound and a half of like 
sashimi, tuna, and yellowtail. And <sighs> it was so fresh and so oh. good. I uh-huh. don't have a knife sharp enough to butcher it properly and mm. even improperly butchered. Mm. I made some rice. I have to say, I don't know what happened. I got this um, uh, this really fancy rice that usually you get at the Asian market uh, that's really expensive and all the like Asians go hard for this rice. And Do they? Uh, Do they? Yeah. <laughs> Does it have a name? Yeah, it's Tamaki Gold Rice. It's delicious. And I was at the local- Is there a silver? Like, is the gold like some kind of a standard of the kind of rice? Like, <laughs> I think that it's just the name of the rice. It's oh, okay. it's a short grain white rice, but um, mm. usually it's like, you know, 50 bucks a, a bag. And I was at Vons and it was on sale for half price. And there was only one bag. And I was like, what? Tamaki gold for half price. And then when I went to check out, she also gave me like double coupons. And also I use your mom's code for <laughs> the, the, the checkout. So they always say, thank you, Miss Prez, when I check out <laughs> at Vons. You so use my mother's to- frequent customer card? Yes, wait, don't wait, don't you number. use don't you use my mom's frequent customer card for like every store you just like see if maybe Phyllis yes, has because it's the only phone number I remember mm-hmm. besides my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm glad you know your own, you know, thanks, like thanks, there's a Mrs. lot of people Perez. who don't. Yeah. Yes, thanks, mm-hmm. Mrs. Perez, because mm-hmm. I got that bag of Tamaki gold, 15 pound bag of rice for ten dollars. And oh. it's usually $50. So I popped some of that into the Instant Pot, made a little rice, had a little cucumber, a little green onion, and we made some hand rolls with some nori sheets. And it it was just a, a really marvelous afternoon snack. It was just, it was really good. Do you know what my afternoon snack was? Pizza Perhaps. Baron. Pizza it's a Baron? Baron? It's a Baron. A frozen Baron, one that Baron. Comes... Yeah, yeah. It's French yeah. bread pizza. Yeah. Yeah. That was my snack, also known as lunch for those of us who partake in meals and actually call them as such a snack. Okay, so delicious. I like that. So you bought a 15 bag of uh, Tamiko Gold. Tamaki, yeah. tamaki, tamaki gold, gold rice, rice, yeah. which is, you know, normally $50, but you got it for 15. Now, is this the marker of an Aaron good day? Because I feel like there is a pattern here. Aaron mm-hmm. had a good day, a good moment, a good week, a good month, a good life. Mm-hmm. If Aaron got a financial deal on an yes. item, can you explain that yes. a little bit more? Well, uh, you know me, I'm all about the deal. <laughs> Not the art of the deal, just the deal. Like if I get a bargain, it really doesn't matter what I'm buying. Six socks for six dollars. Yeah, that. I'm pretty that, excited about it. I got that rice, um, Tamako Gold uh, rice for normally fifty was fifteen one five. That's one heck of a deal or a bargain. So can I ask what? What are the requirements for it to be a bargain? Is it a percentage? Does it have to be more than half off? Yeah. So um, I just recently had a friend leaving town, moving to Europe in the midst of a pandemic, sold her KitchenAid mixer to me. 
And I bought it because it was a hundred bucks because KitchenAid mixers never, ever, ever, ever go on sale. Never, ever. Sometimes it'll be 50 bucks off, but when it's $499, 50 bucks off is like, okay, well, I don't. Is it? This is okay. It's just okay. It's not a lot. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Okay. Right. So that's a really good deal for a used mixer. And then it also came with the little meat grinder, which I don't need, and the pastry uh, or or pasta um, extruder. Then yesterday, yesterday, two days ago, I don't know if you would believe it, but out of nowhere, Best Buy has a sale on the five series KitchenAid mixers, regularly priced at $400, 60% off, $199. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm supposed to share my excitement. You're kidding me. Yes. Can you believe it? 60% I cannot off believe it. Never goes on sale. I cannot believe. Was this a, a KitchenAid? A KitchenAid mixer. But wait a minute. You just said that KitchenAid never goes on sale. Never goes on sale. And I had just bought one. So I was like, do I buy a new one? That's silly. I just bought a used one. I went on Facebook Marketplace, sold the KitchenAid stand mixer that I had bought off of my friend for $100, exactly what I paid for it. And I bought that KitchenAid stand mixer, the brand new one for $199. So. Now, now, listeners, you may hear from time to time as Aaron has been talking a slap, slap. That is Aaron <laughs> slapping the hand on the table to express just how intense this deal was. So, okay, I want you fifty percent off. Oh never goes on sale. Okay, it's sold out now everywhere. Of everywhere. course, because yeah, the KitchenAid mixer never goes on sale and it's 60 percent off now are you afraid like does do the deal does the deal in the bargain achievement ever worry you like do you ever because what i'm worried for you i'm worried for you because i'm thinking wait a minute when these kinds of deals and bargains present themselves it's usually because the end is nigh like if i were to say to you like hey aaron (laughs) hey aaron you want to go um on like a bestie trip to like i don't know fiji or the polynesian islands and we can stay in those huts on the water let me tell you the day that i tell you that all of my money is going to a trip the end is nigh. Okay. So I'm wondering, are you at all worried that the KitchenAid mixer that never goes on sale, that just went on sale at Best Buy, one of the last and final brick and mortar stores that sell appliances, appliances that you yeah. could go to and open and touch, even though they might be fake, was on sale for 60% off a $400 item sold for $199. Are you afraid, Aaron O'Brien, that either KitchenAid or Best Buy is closing soon? Well, I wouldn't be surprised actually if Best Buy goes under because Radio Shack went under, everything's going under. Like, Do all you remember, people- I'm gonna say two words to you, ready? Do you remember Circuit City? Exactly, <laughs> gone. <laughs> Radio Shack, yeah. Best yeah. Buy. Okay, but if like, you are a store with like two words, if you are a store, cheese the, but it's the the cheesecake factory. That's three words. That's Apparently, three. businesses with two words are the Go ones out. to really be afraid of. One word, is okay. Us? Three words. Toys are us. Well, the R was it a word though? <laughs> 
<laughs> Look, I, I, this juncture in the pandemic, I'm recognizing that the apocalypse takes a little bit more time than I thought it was. It's not like a one-time event and then everything changes and we're in like post-apocalyptic world. Um, and, you know, some of the adaptations I have, uh, you know, adapted uh, in this pandemic is like we're eating with the 24 karat gold flatware because we're like, it could be the end. This could all like be the end. So we might as well use the good table <laughs> flatware and the good plates, the good china. So, you know, I might as well get that bargain at the end of the world. Because if I'm going to go out, I'm going out with dozens of cookies. Is that where we're at right now? Like 10 months about, well, actually, if it's the first, we're at 11 months. It has been 11, actually, oh my God. The very first COVID case was um, a year ago. Was China. absolutely, yeah, it was in November. Exactly a year ago. Yeah. We are at the year marker. It has been a year that the world has been plagued with the plague of mm -hmm. COVID-19 or the coronavirus. And so in the first year, Aaron, mm -hmm. of this pandemic, you're mentioning like this sort of like YOLO feeling to things, right? Like you only live once, we're here right now. Um, and there's, you know, the idea of FOMO versus YOLO, like there is kind of a difference. Okay, so these are all right. acronyms, right? So FOMO, F-O-M-O, -O, fear of missing out. And then you've got YOLO, you only live once. Now, which came first? As far as I know, YOLO came before FOMO. And you kind of need YOLO to get FOMO. You mm -hmm. can't have these actions and these thoughts and these like decisions of you only live once and then have that after the FOMO. I feel like it's a chicken or the egg, but I feel like the FOMO, the fear of missing out is only because you see all these other people with YOLO. So like, it's true. I only have FOMO about your sushi because you're eating sushi midday because you've got the YOLO. Do you see what I'm yeah. talking about here? It's true, it's true. I think Carpe Diem predates YOLO and YOLO is just the updated contemporary like Acronym See, I'm to into small words. I'm into small words that sound the same. And you seem to be into foreign languages, apparently Latin. So, um, <laughs> so what does is is what is this phrase again? Carpe diem, seize the day. Carpe diem, seize yeah. the day. Now, why don't you just say seize the day? Um, like I don't see you can people going seize the day, <laughs> seize the day. No, because <laughs> they they want to prove they know something in in Latin. I guess I don't know. Um, I think because the phrase all like the idiom stays in Latin, like people don't translate it. Why not? Like I don't know. Like when they say like veni vedi vici, like they don't say like we came, we saw, we conquered all the time. They just say veni vedi vici. No. Okay, now let's explain the reference. Vidi Vidi Vici, anyone can see as the banner that two individuals who I kid you not are wearing white hooded Klansmen outfits and they're holding up a banner. There's two Klansmen holding up a banner that says Vidi Vidi Vici on the bottom of what cigarette box, Aaron? Uh, Marlboro. Marlboro. So those of you listening, 
who remember what cigarettes are, or you're like, no, I don't even know what cigarettes are. Cigarettes are a horrible, beautiful thing. They, they kill you. They kill you. But, oh, are they so cool? So, so good. Like, you've got YOLO and FOMO and cancer all wrapped into one, the cigarette. And back in the day, um, I've had several different cigarettes that I smoked. I was an American spirits person. Mm-hmm. The last cigarette um, that, you know, was really my thing was parliaments, which are mm-hmm. totally filled with like all kinds of extra things. And that I felt like it was heroin. Like I was coming off of heroin. I had the shakes. I had sweats. I had nightmares trying to quit parliaments. Um, mm-hmm. So everyone always goes to American spirits thinking that somehow this is like more natural and easier It'll wean to quit. you off of yeah. it because it no, doesn't have the no, extra formaldehyde or whatever. So American spirits, parliaments, um, export A's. Ooh, oh, those were like those yes. were like the Canadian Costco of cigarettes because you would get like two packs in one. They were very short, but it felt like you were getting more bang for your buck. No, you just went through them faster. They like burned really fast. Then there was the moment where Aaron and I decided, um, along with a lot of other people, I will slow down my smoking if I have to work for it. Not like, hey, 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 you got a cigarette? <laughs> Not bumming it. Like, that's a different kind of working for it, cigarette. I mean, rolling your own. Yes. And we roll drum, drum tobacco. Ooh, drum. Oh my God. And I, for the deal, bought drum by the can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me just say horrible, horrible cigarettes. Terrible. Oh, God. Terrible. No but, filter. No but filter. But you could buy a little filter that goes in You it. could. And we did because we made yeah. other things. But the point is that Marlboro, most people start off in some way, shape or form with Marlboro because it's one of the biggest ones. Um, I remember a trip in college. I went to North Carolina and there's no tax on cigarettes as it oh, is yeah. like the, the, the Mecca the of tobacco economy. growing. Yeah. <laughs> like and I remember buying product. like four cartons of Marlboro um, lights, the gold one mm-hmm. and putting them in my bag and going through airport security and people being like, really? And I'm like, I'm in college. I smoke a lot. What? And that's when I learned on the, on the box on the outside of the Marlboro about the Vidi Vidi Vici and the, and the two little Klansmen holding it at the bottom. Go check it out. Look up Marlboro Klansmen and you might just see pictures. Um, And again, Latin and nobody wants to translate it. I think it would be very fitting if at the bottom of that cigarette box, it said, we came, we saw, we conquered being held up by two Klansmen. Wow, that was a rabbit hole. FOMO (laughs) and YOLO. Okay, so let's talk about it. What else do you find yourself a year after the first year of the pandemic? You're YOLOing or FOMOing? What are you YOLOing? The YOLO is definitely like I am swimming in carbs. I am making pasta and bread and I don't care. It's delicious. And it turns out I'm quite good at making it. Like it's the Are you good at eating it too? I'm very good at eating it. <laughs> and making it. Mm-hmm. So good at eating it. Uh, but it turns out like, you know, I would pay like a lot of money for fancy pasta and I can make it. And all of the things that I paid really maybe a premium price for because it was handmade and artisan artisanal bread. Mm. It turns out I can make them. So that's my YOLO carbs. I I mean, I didn't eat gluten for years. Let's remember that I was that jerk. (laughs) Oh, that's right. 
<laughs> oh, so that's what we're calling gluten-free. People who have a gluten allergy, jerks, jerks. I mean, I was gluten intolerant and I made a lot of people's lives difficult because it was at a time where people, it wasn't trendy or popular, you know, like in the early 2000s. Like to no, be gluten-free. and to be honest, you lack consistency. So we'd see you one day and you'd be like, <laughs> oh yeah, the gluten. And then the next week you were bringing the bread. It's like, what is this? I thought, is this gluten bread? No. Well, aren't you still like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. So like your, your dietary restrictions are restricting for the rest of us because sometimes you're restricted and other times you're not. It's a very, it's, it's a very fluid yeah. restriction, but here's, here's what's interesting. This idea of like artisan and artisanal, right? Like that was, that was a thing the last like five, maybe even dare I say seven, 10 years, right? Like it, it, it has been a thing in the States to um, find something that somebody made by hand um, and to go into these shops that usually people, you know, companies now we've gotten used to them being made, you know, like processed one size or very limited sizes and nothing's custom made order. And if it is custom, like a tailor, you know, it's it's so out of your range, you know, it's like yeah, the, the Italian, tailor, you only yeah. see it. Yeah, you yeah. only see it in the movies that somebody has a yeah. tailor. And then all of a sudden it's like these kinds of things came down to the masses. So what you thought was only for the rich and famous, because there was a TV show. Do you remember the TV show, The Rich and Famous? Hello, my name is the life, you know, like the rich and famous, right? And so you would go and you'd be like, oh my God, look at these people and how they live. And then all of a sudden, it's like somebody in, in like the best capitalistic mind was like, whoa, everybody wants what the rich people have. Why don't we give the poor people the illusion of access to what rich people have. So rich people have their own personal drivers, especially in New York. Well, you know what? You can live in LA and have your own personal driver. It's called Uber. It's called Lyft. Oh, oh, you have, oh, you have a you're a rich person. You have somebody who comes and delivers food for you because you couldn't go to the fast food place. Oh, I have that. It's called Uber Eats. It's called, it's called DoorDash, you know, like, oh, oh, rich people. You have somebody who makes something custom just for you, a bracelet just for you, just the colors you want. Oh, no problem. We now have Etsy, right? So you have these moments where things can be customized and what you speak of, like I used to pay a lot of money for someone to make handmade pasta. And now you've got some time, you've got some skill, you've got some interest, you're the handmade. And what is interesting is that you were always paying for someone's time and skill. Mm -hmm. And now you have the time and you have the skill. Who's paying you? Uh, How do we get this gig? How do we get this gig? (laughs) Well, you know, I have to... I have to disagree with this sort of like making it accessible to the masses because of capitalism. I think that it's a different, a different thing is operating. I think people are realizing that there is all of these old ways of doing things and they're re-embracing them, you know, like. Are they old? Yeah, before we had a supermarket, people knew how to butcher their own food. Before we had like mass produced clothes, people sewed their own clothes. Did your mom sew your clothes when you were a kid? My mom sewed my clothes when I was a kid. I was wearing only things that my mother made. Um, So like- God, I did not wear things that my mother made because God love Phyllis. God love my mom. But I don't know that like, 
patience and <laughs> customizing and thinking about others as mm. the as the like thing that guides you is mm. in her wheelhouse it's yeah. like what is going to be the easiest for me so i can mm -hmm. go back to the thing i wanted to do god damn it so you know my mom's really good at buttons yeah. Um, I've had my mom come and sew the bottom of a curtain that I cut with scissors to make shorter and she thought looked horrible. So she sewed it by hand. And then to weigh it down, she added quarters from her personal coin collection mm -hmm. to weigh it down. So in my old house, which um, has our old curtains, there's a dollar worth of quarters in the curtains. <laughs> there's a quarter shortage. I don't know that you should say out loud <laughs> because the new tenants of your house are going to be that's like, not, oh, but that's not an old way of doing things. Like, but who's to determine that it's an old way of doing things? Like it's, it's just something that it's not old. It's that we decided this no longer is of value. I think too, like people prioritized their time. That's how supermarkets came to be. You know, all the things like, you know, you used to make biscuits from scratch and then people didn't have time and then they invented Bisquick and you could just buy the mix. But did they not have time? I think that was, I mean, the, the prioritization of time as work comes from the capitalist. I think it's not like, you know, because of capitalism, everyone now has access to artisanal things. I think it's the opposite. It's like because of capitalism, people got away from the artisanal things. People got away from the knowledge of how to darn your socks or how to bake bread or how to do all these things themselves, how to roast chicken. I understand chicken. that. I got that. Yeah. I'm saying because of capitalism, all these other things got invented because they were invented during the recession when we didn't have access to jobs to get the money to then go to the grocery store to get the thing. And we had to figure out what do I have? What do I have access to that I can mm -hmm. share, that I can use, that mm -hmm. can benefit me in some way so that I can have some kind of an income. Oh, I have a car. Oh, I have a bedroom. Oh, I have mm -hmm. a roof that I could share with someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it could have gone anti-capitalistic and gone cooperative and gone community-based, but it didn't because it wasn't everybody's day idea to come up with this. It was a couple of guys who just graduated from college who were like, how can we make an app that is solving the quote, the world's problems. But and what so, they did is they were capitalizing on the failures of capitalism, right? Like those folks who are working three jobs, minimum wage, which isn't even 10, $15 in some States can't make a living and can't make ends meet. So they need to work in a gig based economy. Those guys didn't invent the gig based economy. They just capitalized on it by creating a platform for which to make it easier and then take all of the profits and not give it to the workers. But what's interesting is that we call these kinds of things by a name that sounds really cool. You know, like it's a gig, you know, like when I think about the word gig and I think about where I first heard it and what I still to this day can't disassociate it from, it's like music. It's performance based, you know, like, oh, what are you doing these days? Oh, I got a couple gigs. You should come out to this show. I got, I got this cool gig, you know, like mm -hmm. these are not cool gigs, though, you know, like these. But and if you think about museums, uh, museum musician and artist type stories and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, the, the starving artist or the struggling musician and they work at a coffee shop. They work at a, a donut shop. They do something else. And then they're really themselves at the gig that pays nothing. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And so we, we talk about the gig economy as if it's kind of like cool, but really it's not a gig economy. It's a, it's a can't get by economy. It's mm-hmm. a, um, it's a capitalism gone bad economy. Although what is it going good? Because what I find interesting is you saying it's capitalism on capitalism, you know, like, so yeah. how, do you, how do you, like, this is so fascinating to me. Like if you could rename the gig economy as with a word that actually really explains what the gig economy is like, because Aaron here is sort of an expert in the gig economy. If you, if you were, um, because you've been an adjunct professor like myself, gig economy, we get no labor protections. Yep. Um, you've been a, a, a chef you've been a, um, on a, uh, like a sous chef you've been, um, in the catering business, um, You've been in the uh, domestic labor uh, sort of au pair uh, nanny business, right? Mm -hmm. And all of these, if we were to talk about this to say, if you and I were back in Thailand and we were Mm. surrounded by, you know, people from all these other countries, um, mostly Europe, 2010, (laughs) and we were talking about the gig economy, they would be like, what, what? And we'd be like, yeah, yeah, these are excluded workers because all these different types of jobs are excluded from labor laws. And they'd be like, Mm -hmm. what? what? And they'd be like, oh, you mean you're a precarious worker? Like there's a whole other word that they use internationally and precarious, right? When you say it's precarious work or precarious worker, precarious in and of itself means unstable, unknown. There's some danger involved. You cannot, it's not stable. You cannot depend on it. Yes. And in the United States, we we call this by definition excluded workers to explain mm-hmm. why it is that these kinds of jobs have no protections, no yeah. protections federally if for regulations. There's hardly any unions. And if there are, they're constantly under threat that like, oh, can you even unionize a labor that's not really even seen as labor? So how would you redefine or give a new name to the gig economy? I mean... It's interesting because in French, they, they'll ask you, like, what's your métier? Like, not what your job is, but, like, what's your career? Like, what's your path, your your line of work, you know? And I never answered that question very well because I was like, oh, I'm, you know, nannying. That's why I was in Paris for the summers. And they'd be like, oh, so that's your profession. And I'm like, no, I'm an artist. My métier, I'm, I'm an artist. And they're like, oh. So part of it is, I think, for me, because of capitalism, we don't value the things that people do as work. And so people have to do so much work in order to get by in a capitalist economy, right? Like if we valued art, artists would get paid. And it's funny to me that right now in this pandemic, when everyone's like, oh, artists are not valued and that isn't important, all of a sudden everybody is consuming TV, culture, plays, all of these things online, like hungry for it. And yet those are the people who never get paid. Those are the people whose work has not been valued before. And and it's, it's interesting too, because even in that context, like, all of those people who are artists and work in the gig-based economy or self-employed as a way to like make ends meet because they don't get paid for their passion or their heart job. Like it was a pain for all of those people to get unemployment, for all of those people to get like, you know, any benefits to get even like the, 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 the stipend check or whatever, the stimulus check, you know? And it, so I think that 
you know, I don't know if there's a word to describe that economy in a capitalist context. Like we have to remove capitalism from the equation to actually understand what that economy is. And some of that, like, I think has been coming out in this pandemic in great ways. Like this fall of like, it's like late stage capitalism at its worst. Everything goes wrong, global pandemic, people can't leave their house. And all of a sudden there's this like, you know, barter economy emerging again. Like I am on this Facebook group, buy nothing group. And people will say, I'm getting rid of this. And, and people comment on it and you choose someone to come get something for free so that people don't have to like go out and buy things and have to like put their health at risk and like change, you know, like, and, and you can also offer uh, gratitude and something else. Uh, but like the idea of the group is like, let's just try to extract ourselves from this capitalist minute, economy minute, that has extracted our labor. Did yes. you just say that some people barter gratitude? No, like as part of the group, you're supposed to share like something that you can barter, trade, give away, also offer gratitude so that people are reminded to like, be grateful in this world. So it's like, uh, like, don't forget the gratitude as a function core tenant of this little buy nothing Facebook group. And each neighborhood has its own buy nothing group. And it's by it's also so that like neighbors can get to know each other. Like somebody needed a, you know, a birthday banner. And now there's this birthday banner being passed around the neighborhood. Like whose birthday is it next? And it's like a quarantine birthday banner. And Every week it gets posted. Whoever's birthday is next goes, it's my birthday next. And they pick up this banner for free. So no one has to go to Party City and get decorations, you know, or like if you're done with your like gently used baby clothes, then somebody else down the street who might need them for their baby, who's now three to six months can pick them up. Like it's kind of, so within that, it's like one, keeping things super local Two, gratitude as a central tenant of that. And three, like, we don't have to engage in the capitalist system. Like I'm sure if I need, you know, something, uh, you know, okay. So I had like a, a vacuum cleaner, a little steam cleaner and, um, and a spinny mop. And my partner and I have different uh, approaches to mopping. And she was not impressed with my spinny mop that I really love. Um, she has a different way of doing the floors. So I had to get rid what of the is, spinny mop. What is the other way other than the spinny mop? She likes the Bona hardwood floor cleaners. And so she sprays by the inch. I mean, she's practically down on her hands and knees doing it by hand. That's her method. But she really likes it. And so <laughs> we got rid of the spinny mop. And I, you know, didn't need to When you it. used the spinny mop, were you yeah. putting any sort of like a cleaner bucket? or something in the bucket besides water yeah. yeah so i had all-purpose cleaner that i mixed with water that like murphy's you know yeah. and uh, either murphy's for the wood floor or um what's the myers for the kitchen floor right um yeah this was not but, good enough no i think she's concerned that it was like too much water on these wood floors anyways i was getting rid of the spinny mop and I put it on this buy nothing group and 10 people were like, I love that spinny mop. It's great. I could really use it. And then, you know, you get to pick like a, one of those people and you can do it with a question like, what's your least favorite chores? And people are like, ha ha ha, cleaning floors or whatever. And so I gave away things and it felt really good to give them away. I, I know. Good. I know. But here's the thing. 
yeah. you're giving away things that you had to buy mm-hmm. from. It's not like you're bartering your pasta where right. you're using essential ingredients and making something, but even those ingredients, I imagine you have to buy. It's not like you're growing flour in the backyard. No, but it turns out I do have a mill. So I'm going to oh get bulk grains so that I can <laughs> mill my own. But you see what I'm getting at here. Like you need but capitalism. You currently need capitalism to have existed at some point for this moment. Because what's happening is at the early moments in early months of the pandemic, you couldn't make donations. I remember you moved. And in moving from one house to another, you're like, okay, I have all these things now to donate, but I yeah, can't donate them anywhere. The yeah. So after a few months, almost like six months, then thrift stores opened up to receive donations. And mm-hmm. I've heard and I've seen as I go and drop off things to the one place that is taking things here in town in Reno, I've seen people go into the thrift store. And I've thought to myself, who are you and what is wrong? But like what you're talking about is a thrift store replacement. The the buy nothing is a thrift store replacement. It's saying, here are the things I don't want. Would you like them? Because when I donate things, I'm not I'm not donating them and then getting money for it. Like, oh, you got three pounds of crap. Okay, uh, here you go. Three dollars. You know, like they just take it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, okay. You wouldn't answer my question about how you would rename the gig economy. Fine. Mm -hmm. Don't answer my question. Let me give you another one. Is this group, should it really be called buy nothing? Mm. Well, I think it's trying to reduce the amount of dependence that we have on things like Amazon. And, you know, like if you're like, oh, I just need this thing, you can ask like, hey, like my friend was like, hey, I would I've been really into like lattes. Does anyone have a milk frother they're not using or willing to get rid of? And someone was like, I've got a milk frother for you. Like so it creates the space and platform for people to one, ask for the things they need. Like maybe it's totally random um, and maybe somebody has it or not. So um, do you get it if you're a good person? Well, like, do you have to rank yourself? Like, what if you are a horrible human being and you say, I would like a Twinkie and somebody goes, yes, here's a Twinkie. Yeah. How do you decide? Is this like Christmas? Because this is reminding me of Christmas. You make a list of what you want and somebody gets it for you. It's not like first come, first serve. Uh, When people post things, if you're the first person to respond, you don't have to automatically give it to that person. Whereas I think when you do like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, kind of generally the rule is like the first person who you know wanted to buy it is the one that you make the deal with whoever can get there first right and it's not like that you can offer a question and then decide that way and then I was like how do I even decide and when people posted like you know this one family was like we foster kittens they answered my question which was like you know what's your least favorite chore what's your dream flooring they answered the question but then they also added like we foster kittens and dogs i was like take the steam mop you need that i don't need that and then another person responded that they you know uh do house cleaning on the side to make ends meet during the pandemic i was like take the spinny mop if you need that for your work to make ends meet in this time you can have the spinny mop you know and so I realized that I needed the little extra bit of information from people that, you know, that helped me decide. 
I didn't want to just give it to anyone random, but if you're doing good things, then I also feel like, okay, this will help support the good things that you're doing. So you basically <laughs> run a credit check. That's like, like a will. Like a karma How, credit check. Yeah. Like a karma credit check. Karma? Yeah. 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 You can have the spinny mop. Mm, <laughs> I want to give you the spinny mop, but <laughs> run a karma credit check. How good of How a person much, have like, you been? Oh, like, mm, do you have a Black Lives Matter like <laughs> uh, frame on your Facebook photo? Yours. Yours. <laughs> you don't. It is not, my friends. Sorry. Talk about some FOMO, okay? <laughs> um. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so, here's, so here's the thing. The theme of this particular season four was mm, about yeah, the theme the scars right oh. because covid-19 leaves scarring it doesn't just like attack your body and then peace out you won bye suckers mm -mm. instead yeah, it's, it's like, like i was all. here i was here and it like leaves a flag somewhere mm -hmm. in your lungs and in your intestines and in your brain in your lymphatic system somewhere in your body it goes i was here damn it and you can't get rid of me you know and they just sort of like it taken out but they're still there and so this season's theme was, well, let's flip this around and talk about the social dynamics of COVID-19. What are we going to be scarred with? And let's talk about scars for a second. I did some research on scars, if you recall, a year ago for my art mm -hmm. show, as my tumor behind my eye and around my brain is now just scar, scar tissue. tissue. Yeah. And so scar tissue, it is, um, it's tissue that tries to re um, sort of strengthen itself by just pouring itself on top. So you've got to imagine that your body, when it hurts itself, whether it's through a strained ligament or an injury or growth of some kind, your body's like, whoa, whoa, must fix this. And so your tissue just just get stacked on top of each other. Just like, go, put it there, put it there. Like if you were trying to stop a hole or something and you're just like, you put your hand on top and just put towels on top of it. Like you're not trying to be graceful about plugging the hole or fixing the emergency. And so it's tissue on tissue on tissue, but crosshatched. Mm -hmm. And so because the tissue is crosshatched, it gets tough, it gets hard, and it doesn't have the flexibility that it had before because there's just so much of it and that cross-stitching. So what are the scars socially, community, that we are developing because of FOMO and YOLO, right? You only live once, fear of missing out. What are the things that we're doing really fast to try and, you know, um, sustain things or really differently and maybe not like well thought out uh, completely, but are going to stick around? Like, I don't know that any of us really saw Uber, Lyft and Airbnb and these kinds of things lasting. I remember the first, the first months of Uber and Lyft and Airbnb. It was like, really, you're going to go stay in a stranger's home and think that nothing's going to happen to you. You're going to get into a stranger's car. Are you kidding me? What if they kidnap you? Right? Like, and not to say that these worst fears didn't happen and aren't happening. They're just not the norm. So here we are many years uh, with Uber and Lyft and, and, and even more of these delivery kinds of services happening, especially right now. What are you noticing as things that are probably not going 
away. Even once we have a vaccine or some new way um, and return, if you will, of some kind of quote normalcy um, is in front of us. What do you think is gonna stick around? Well, at the beginning of this pandemic, you know, I'd be in these Zoom meetings and I'm like, I'm so stressed right now. I can't really focus. I need to go reimagine a new economy. Like, not just like I need to go like check out of this meeting. Like I need to go try and reimagine how we can actually exist in this world. And I think now I'm starting to put some of those pieces into place of like reimagining that economy and how I relate to like, even like, just capitalism and all these things. So I think some of those things, like what's being cemented are my like neighborhood relationships with my actual neighbors and, and my former neighbors and my small, I would say inner circle. Um, Because what's gone away is social interactivity. Like I, I honestly can't be that social anymore. I'm a very social person. I am extroverted to the nth degree. Everyone's like, wow, chill out. You really, you're super extroverted, right? And I've almost become completely introverted. Like I had- Get out, stop it. I know. Really, really, I'm almost become completely introverted. What? What does that even mean? I don't even know what that looks like. I had my friend over uh, because she was going through a breakup and was like, oh, okay, why don't you come over and we can, we can hang out and I'll show you how to make pasta. And, um, and then I was supposed to have another friend over because they're leaving town. And I was like, I don't know if I can do two social engagements, however socially distant outdoors. I don't know if I can do two in like three days. Like that is way too much socializing for me. Like, what? I'm telling you, I cannot any longer like why not it feels like a lot of work because I've gotten so used to being able to be like quiet and like not have all of that extroverted socialization it's not like I don't miss it sometimes I like having an audience don't get me wrong um but like I think that that is it actually takes a different kind of energy that I haven't had time or energy for like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic everybody you hadn't seen in like 10 20 years was like oh my god how are you doing I haven't talked to you in like 15 years let me call you on the phone like people I hadn't heard from in ages and now it's like I don't know if I can return that text like I I'll get to it like in like a, a day or two so I think that's definitely personally for me one thing that has shifted um And I don't think that this online world is going to change. Like the Zoom meetings and the classes and the concerts online and the programming online, I think it's going to stay online for a really long time. And if you recall 25 years ago when they, well, this was like, yeah, like 25 years ago when when the sort of early ages of the internet, you and I were community organizers and we're like, they'll never be able to organize on the internet. That's impossible. Nobody, it's totally like the worst thing ever. It's totally inequitable. Like, and now people are organizing on the internet and thank goodness, because there are some funny, funny memes out there that have like really brought a lot of sanity to my life. The TikTok is my new favorite. Um, I'm sorry. Did you just say the TikTok? 
Oh my God. We have turned into that Geico commercial. We all see it. We all see it. You don't know that person. So you don't know that person. <laughs> don't say anything. Don't yes, say anything. The Geico commercial. That's like, we can prevent you from turning into your parents. You know, like, come on in. The water's yeah, the warm. Water's Order another round of jalapeno <laughs> poppers for my friends. I can't do any of the dance challenges uh, on the TikToks, but uh, really there's some some really good, well, good you know what? You there. went there. You went there. Did, so let's talk about it for a second. Yeah. Okay. Because I don't think that, that any of us have talked about it on any of these previous interviews. So, you know, the point of this podcast was to archive what is happening um, in year one of the pandemic um, and to really sort of, you know, be, I, I, I want to be the diary. I want to be the place where we can say, I don't want to forget that this thing happened. So I'm going to tell it to you, Felicia, so that we can remember. We can right? remember. And, yeah. and what we have not yet yeah. talked about is TikTok. So yeah. TikTok is, is, a, is a platform, it's an app, and it's kind of replacing television. Like, because there was this moment. Oh, I don't think it's replacing. No, no, Nick? stop. Hear me out. The okay. pandemic begins and we had maybe like three months of our shows or the movies that had already finished production still being available to stream. Just this week did the TV show This Is Us come back. And it's all about the <laughs> pandemic. Is. It's all about the masks. And Superstore about, too. Also about uh, the Superstore is also about the masks, right? Um, yeah. So And all about, you know, police and racism and widespread, like all these things, right? So the TV shows have just barely gotten back now. Learn really from uh, professional baseball and professional basketball and, and these sports that are like, look, this is how you do it. You kind of hunker down, testing, becoming got, more accessible. Yeah. You create a bubble, you do the thing. And also what's interesting, which I thought was super clever. If you're a movie or a TV show and you want to come back into production right now, yes, have the issue of the pandemic front and center in your show or in your film, because then your characters have to be pretending to be safe as we all have to pretend to be safe. So you see yeah, all these actors all with masks on, masks on and they're yes. six feet apart from each other because they're trying to be quote realistic, but they're also doing it to keep themselves safe. It's like the most genius thing. It's so meta. I'm pretending to be a person who's living in a pandemic as a person who's safe in the, you know, like it's pandemic. this whole thing, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So, so in that gap time, which is roughly seven months when there was nothing, people turned to TikTok. And it was a way alternative to Zoom to have interactions with your family and friends. So like people's grandparents were on TikTok. People's yeah. like, there's, there's, there's political TikToks. There's all different yeah. kinds of TikToks. Oh yeah. Dance and so, TikToks, pasta yes. TikToks. I am yes. keeping the pasta TikToks. Exactly, right? So TikTok becomes your like personal cable news where depending on which kind of TikTok you say you like and you follow, it only gives you TikToks of those kinds. And then we reach, you know, peak TikTok uh, moment where Trump says, I'm banning TikTok because it's owned by someone in China and they're taking all of your data. And I'm like, dude, Instagram's already taken my data and that ain't no China. So anyways, so and Instagram's then, owned by Facebook, yeah, yeah. already owns all my data. But TikTok did not get banned. It was all talk. But what did happen this month or last month was the TikTok sensation of the guy from Idaho, Idaho Falls in particular. 20, uh, 
What's his name? Soldier Boy 420. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and he is he is a dad and a guy who works at a potato factory who just dances around and he kind of looks like a homeboy. His mom's indigenous native and his his dad is Mexican and he has this like gorgeous, beautiful, you know, feather tattoo on the back of his head. He's bald. He basically looks like my dream scenario of what I want to be when I grow up. And he's got a little mustache and a shaved head and he's always wearing really long shorts and really long uh, socks. And basically he already had a TikTok. I was already one of his followers because I just like seeing homeboys dance. Like the, that's basically my like TikTok. It's like Cholos who dance and um, like 90s uh, house music. And there's like a guy that I watch. He works at Kaiser. And when he's in his Kaiser office, he's like an administrator, um, like admin person. He goes into his office and he just dances to like 90s house music that you and I used to dance to at like the clubs. And I watch him every day. I just want dance. Anyways. Okay. So this guy other guy he was going to work at the potato factory his car broke down because it's an old car he lives in an rv and he's got a he's <laughs> just so happens that homeboy also rides a skateboard a longboard and so he takes the longboard skateboard out of the back of his truck and he every day drinks cran raspberry ocean spray uh juice and he takes out his cran raspberry juice and the first song that popped up on the tiktok challenge was fleetwood mac and um, so he starts, you know, singing to it. He's now an internet sensation. He's got oh, yeah. all kinds they of They gave sponsors. him a whole truckload. Grand like Ocean truck Spray gave him a truck. Yeah. Gave him a truck <laughs> and a truckload of stuff. He then got Nike sent to him. He's been sponsored by Foot Locker. He is, he is now what everybody wants to be of the last few years, which is like a an influencer, somebody who what they do and what they wear and how they do it is what we all want. And he's a big old pothead and and just like peace and love and let me dance, you know, and live but in what my it RV. is that he did that we all want was that attitude, that carefree, I'm on a longboard, singing to Fleetwood Mac, like that. Was and the my thing car that- and my car broke down. My know, car broke like, down. Like, and you know what my attitude longboard. is when my car broke down? Oh cool. that's a bummer. Good thing I got my skateboard. He's skateboarding yeah. on the freeway. Just yeah, I was like, he is on an off-ramp. He is on an off-ramp on the freeway. So not only does he have a carefree attitude, he's also dedicated to TikTok because he didn't just get on a skateboard and have his ocean spray and just go to work. He then got on TikTok mm-hmm. and had to sing and dance with it. So but you, to your point, you are right. He's got the YOLO and the FOMO down All in such it. an yeah. incredible way. It's a TOMO. Yeah. It, and, and wait, what does the Tomo stand for? I don't know. I'm going to make it oh. up right now. Okay. It's like, um, uh, I don't know. I'll think about it. I don't know. I was thinking okay. like TikTok, FOMO, YOLO. I don't know. I don't uh, okay. Know. Okay. I guess uh, I think, you know, I had a moment because, you know, we do all this work around memes and, and uh, you know, story and getting folks to like, you know, play with these memes as like, you know, uh, a way to engage with like, you know, uh, to, to engage with, with what's going on. But I, what was really wild to me was when Stevie Nicks and Mick Fleetwood did their own TikToks of the song <laughs> of, of, that like everybody knows is famous now because of this, you know, yeah. TikTok. Yeah. I've got it. I've got the acronym. It's, oh, uh, okay. are we woo? 
I'm trying to say whatever the acronym that spells I W W Y W. I W W Y W. It doesn't quite fall off the tip of no, the tongue no, like FOMO no. and yellow. But IWIWU stands for I want what you want. Mm-hmm. I'll have what she's having. Basically. Right. Which is which is a wink and a nod to Harry Mitt Sally. Yeah. Exactly. And and the moment where she's explaining um, that not that women don't always have an orgasm and sometimes and and she oftentimes fake they it. fake it. And she's yeah. like, you can't do that. And so she fakes it. And, um, you know, uh, <laughs> then this woman next next to the couple as they're eating. And after she has the orgasm, the waitress says, you know, what would you like? And she says, I'll have what she's having. Right. Like and that's that's what just happened. Right. Like yeah. everyone like, to your point. Thank you for mentioning that. We we just wanted what he had and what he had if you look at it through a capitalism lens was not much is not much no but he had serenity he had he that thing rich. that we tried to get he was rich he was absolutely like a bazillionaire to serenity mm-hmm. he's the high, thing that we high but rich in serenity there's alan on serenity too (laughs) (laughs) but i think that's that's what we want right like we want this time to be carefree we want these moments to not be that big of a deal we actually don't want fomo Mm -hmm. we don't want the fear of missing out we want to be okay with i mean i think that's what interesting about this pandemic is like how people have responded to it like I have a lot of young friends who are in grade school who are like, this is great. I'm having I'm a sorry. great time. Let's, let's rewind for a second. I want to make sure that I really understood that. You said, I have a lot of friends who are in grade school. Younger friends. Okay. Eight and 12, seven to 12 year range. And I'm, you know, like, hey, how's it going? You know, what what's it like in this pandemic? And they're just like, it's cool. To be clear, this is this Aaron is not alone having young friends. I often say uh, this friend of mine and I start talking about them. And then my partner, Emily, will say, that's a child like your friend. I'm like, yeah, we're my my friend. My friend. I I think that something (laughs) happens with um, with uh, the gay community who does not have children, but Mm -hmm. who still like children. Right. Like we didn't have them, (laughs) not because we don't like them. It just didn't happen for us. Okay, but we really really like them to the point where, I mean, why can we be friends? So, you know, like I have a friend who's five. Um, I have a friend who's 11. I have a friend who's six. Um, I think I have a friend who's eight. I don't know that that they would call me their friend, but they might. Like, I think a lot of young people um, might want me to be their best friend, as weird as it is. And how they make it, I've, I've talked to the young people about this, how they make it work so that I can be their friend. Check it out. This is what they say. Well, you're not like a real adult. <laughs> like I'm an imposter. I'm an adult imposter. You're still a kid. Yeah, you you're just, just a big kid. An adult you're body. an adult kid. So in order for kids to be able to rationalize in their mind mm-hmm. that I'm their friend, they have to make me a kid. And yeah. in order for me to rationalize in my mind that they're my friends, I need to do nothing. 
because I just see them as my friends. <laughs> You're like, um, we're friends, right? Are we not friends? I brought you a gift. We spend time together. These you talk are, about uh, matching tattoos yeah, and then they exactly. bring up things like, I don't know. I don't think my mom will let me get one right now. Yeah, and I'm and like, like, what? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's usually, right. that's usually yeah. when the divide becomes very clear. Okay. So your, your grade school friends, um, friends are having the time of their lives. Yeah. Their parents are like, oh my goodness, can we just send these kids back to school? Right. I, I feel grateful that I don't have any of these constraints in my life. Um, but, you know, I don't even remember what the original question was. <laughs> Me neither. But the thing is, the thing is that here's the, here's the reason why parents are going bananas right now. Let's talk about it as non-parents, um, which is that they decided to have children before the pandemic, understanding I'm going to have help. Eventually they go to school. My parents, you know, can come in and do this thing. Like they said yes under yeah. very particular, you know, things accessible Parameters. and available. Yeah. 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 Then like the pandemic someone, happens. There's, there's, there's yeah. going to be daycare. There's going to be school. Now yeah. there's no school. There's no daycare, no nannies, no babysitters. Yeah. And so none of it. parents all over the world right now are like, wait, yo, what like this is i i don't know that i would have said yes teachers before this is like take all my money take my life but there are still people having children right now and i'm like yo listen if i were to gonna if i were to have a child ever in my life i gotta say this might actually be the time because baby baby babies they don't do anything anyways so this is kind of like the best time yeah it's really like after eight months you know, yeah, well, basically like, when you when can walk and talk, walking, ooh, it's over trouble. Yeah. Cause that's when they like open the fridge and get under the cabinets and like three minutes of silence. No. And you're like, they've no. destroyed. The I got a worse time. I got a worse time. That's fine. That's fine. That was going to happen with or without the pandemic. It's the talking. So you mentioned that you used to be an extrovert and now you yeah. find yourself really almost becoming like a full on introvert. Oh, and yeah. that's the thing. When the kids start to talk, and they have interests and ideas mm-hmm. and they've got, and they want some of the questions yet. Yeah, they want mm-hmm. answers. So many questions. Those yeah. are the parents who are right now crying and dying inside. <laughs> I do not want to answer your questions anymore. I don't know the answers to your questions because these questions are actually quite big. And I don't know because I used to know the answer to this question a year ago. Now I can't tell you when we're going to Disneyland again, you know, like there's all these things. But I wonder Um, how these kids are going to grow up to be different in terms of like their social interaction. Like all of it's like all these kids are being homeschooled. Like it sucks for the parents. Let's be clear. Because they have to like be there while the kids are in school, help the kids get online, all the things. Right. And then, you know, they're entertaining children at all hours. But like, remember, we're the generation. I think you're the last of the generation. Like latchkey kids and grew up before the Internet. So we entertained ourselves. We went outside to play like. I was even talking because we're going to have our friends over for brunch uh, in the backyard. And Jeffy was like, oh, we can like hang out with Perry and I can show him some things. And I was like, you could. But at age 12, he's really not interested in like doing a lot of physical outdoor things. He's happy to be on his phone and look at epic fail videos like he just isn't engaged in that way. And we all grew up being engaged in that way because we didn't know anything else. And now 
we have this whole generation of kids that have been like homeschooled for at least a, almost a year now and may continue into next year, you know, like, what is that going to do to kids in the way they interact with each but other? I, th- I think that's the thing. Like there are some kids right now who are, you know, see each other there people are yeah. back in school yeah people are like potting and things yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and being socially distant but gathering and getting together and, and doing mm-hmm. certain things mm-hmm. so the kids are seeing each other they're just not touching each other mm-hmm. they're checking each other out but they're not touching they're not you know so they're not spending time mm-hmm. they're just gazing just gazing it and removes then- them for a little bit i think socially from each other yeah. And, and at the same time, we're also longing for that. So we long for the touch that you can't have. And at the same time, you long for the distance. If you're the parent, you're like, I'm longing for the longing, you know, like I do not miss you right now. And, um, and I wonder if at the other side of this pandemic, on the other side of it, you're going to have kids like, you remember how in the last couple of years we've heard about the like tiger mom, and yeah. the like moms, the hover parenting that yeah, they're just like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. you just go over there and I'll just be right here watching you the whole time. Yeah. Right. I think helicoptering is going to become like catapulting instead of hovering over Get you. Out. I'm just going to throw <laughs> you so far away from me and be like, you're good. You're safe. You know what to do. You made it through a pandemic. Of course, you're going to come Fine. home later. You know, <laughs> basically, it's like if you can live through a pandemic and not get sick and not die then you're good. Yeah. Go out with your friends. Did you come in at four in the morning? Didn't hear you. Slept through the night like a baby. You know, like I think the idea of like a lot of freedom, a lot of, um, you know, uh, independence or the absolute drastic opposite, because now we're so used to seeing each other. It's like pets. We were told early on in the pandemic, every once in a while, leave your pets, like just leave them home alone. Because when we start to again, they're going to freak out. out. Yeah. So I think that might also be the other option that we all just might freak out all the time when we don't see each other, especially to the folks who we've been living with, not necessarily to everyone. Like I miss you. I do. Mm -hmm. You live in LA. I live in Reno, but honestly, like not seeing you has made it okay because I got over it, you know, like the hump of like missing you and being super sad that I didn't know when I would see you again has dissipated and I get to talk to you and there's other ways that we get to hang out. It's the people that you live with and you see all the time. If all of a sudden you couldn't, would you, would you miss them? Well, I would say yes. I mean, I live with my partner and it was a somewhat new relationship Um, We are coming up on our one-year anniversary in two weeks here. And we were joking, but in all seriousness, we were like, it feels like it's been a decade because March felt like it was a decade. And March was 10 months ago. And if each day is like a week and each week is like a month and each month is like a year, it feels like we've been together for a really long time. And ostensibly, it's because we've been living together during the pandemic. Like my friend yesterday or the other day was like, you know, most couples early in a relationship never spend that much time together and would never choose to. You have your life, you have your other things, you got your work, you go to all the yeah. other places. Um, and she had a 96 hour shift this last week at the fire station. 
and like by day two, I was like, oh gosh, ha, oh boy. So we met up for a, a, a hike, uh, which we haven't been able to do because it's been so hot and the air quality from the fires has been so bad. Right. Um, so we met up for a walk and Macaroni, who hasn't seen Jeffy for two days, was like screaming, was like, oh my God, I thought you were dead. What? I thought you were going to come back. This oh is the God. dog. This is the dog. The dog is screaming. Um, but also me, I was like, oh my gosh, I miss you so much. It's like hard to be away from you for 48 hours. This is what I'm talking about. I like, I don't know <laughs> if we're going to be able I think this is this is where I think I think the other side of this leaves people dramatically between those two options, mm-hmm. not being able to be away and mm-hmm. not really able to be, you know, apart. apart or actually that's the same, not being able to be apart and not being able to be close yeah. at the same mm-hmm. time to your point of I can only visit with like one person at a time <laughs> right now like it's a exhausting at the yeah, most like, yeah oh. because part of being an extrovert is that you care more about other people than you do yourself even if it's that you just care more about what other people are thinking so the extrovert is like do you got something to drink oh my god how are you that outfit's crazy where did you get it it's amazing I love it have you met so and so oh my god you two totally have to meet you would have so much in common so you're thinking so much outward that you don't ever tap into the inward energy from external things so like energy from other people you you do those things because that what that's what gives you life Mm -hmm. introverts are like oh my god this is exhausting if i'm alone i can recharge you know Mm -hmm. like we haven't quite yet made the cell phone that gets energy from being used we have no, a cell phone that gets that tired. Electric cars that like when you break, it creates energy and then it stores it. And that's what powers Too many the metaphors. Car. This is okay. the problem of too many metaphors. <laughs> we've fallen but into a metaphor. We have, you know what it reminds me of? No, no. See, that was about to segue into another one. But, but you get the general idea, right? Yeah. That like, I wonder where we're going to be. And more importantly, I wonder who we're going to be. Uh, on the other side of this, I cannot let you go without asking you about how are you feeling about the upcoming election day on Tuesday? What is your worst fear and what is your greatest hope for the upcoming election results? Senate and presidential and any state initiatives, as there are always a gross amount of them in Uh California. Uh I I have plenty of fears. I I I think my greatest fears and nightmares came true when Donald Trump was elected in 2016. And now we've been under this nightmare for four years now, almost four years. And, you know, it's created such division and divisiveness because it has emboldened people who are really aligned with Donald Trump to say the things that they felt that they couldn't say out loud, but also to act on them. And then they're actively militarized. So that to me is incredibly scary because if they, A, lose, that they may somehow be emboldened to engage in violent behavior because they're already doing it. They ran Biden's bus off the freeway. You know, they're out at all the protests, like militias with like guns, like win or lose. I'm afraid of what 
that deep-seated division that has only cemented in this pandemic, what the outcome of that looks like. I mean, you know, my partner is telling me, you know, because she works for LAFD, um, that they're creating, you know, they're creating tactical units to deal with anticipated civil unrest. And where I think I'm fairly safe in my neighborhood in suburban Los Angeles, I don't know, like what it's going to look like, you know, like things got crazy when the Dodgers won (laughs) World Series. So, you know, if a, if a baseball game creates this level of like fireworks and people in the streets and like, I don't know what it's going to look like regardless of who wins or loses on Tuesday. And I also think we won't know on Tuesday. I mean, I know we won't know on Tuesday. I'm sure we'll have a good inclination. My hopes are that people are so frustrated and so angry and so left without any other choice but to engage in democracy because democracy has been lost with this presidency. Like all the tenets of democracy, it's like being in the middle of the game and people are losing and so they change the rules of the game. Like that's how the Republicans are acting, like this sort of bully, like, oh, well, we'll just change the rules to, to you know, make sure that we win. Like if you're not winning, then cheat, right? Like that level of like disregard for the fundamentals of democracy scare me and i'm hoping that this is the point where everyone's like i mean the fact that 90 million people have already you know voted in early voting that the turnout in some places is like above and beyond what the turnout was before like that maybe it engages people in a way in democracy to like kind of hold on to it before it's gone to like you know so my hope is that there is a wild blue tsunami and the Democrats take everything that we take Pennsylvania, that we take Florida, that we, you know, that we, that we take all of the, you know, all of the, the swing states, but that, you know, that there's enough to flip the Senate that, that, that there is, you know, and on top of that, then that Donald Trump is no longer president and is arrested for all of the charges and things that he is, you know, uh, liable for that hasn't been able to be prosecuted because he is president. That's that's my hope. Wow. I mean, I think what's interesting is everything you've said, um, <laughs> I think is what a lot of people um, are thinking, anticipating, and this is not the first conversation I've had about the anticipated election results um, that has this sort of, you know, well, I can't tell you my hopes without telling you my fears, and I can't tell you my fears without also, you know, like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was just talking to a friend earlier today who asked me, so how are you feeling about the upcoming election? And I said, honestly, I'm feeling the same way about this upcoming election as I have felt in every election. Like I think some folks out there are like, this is the most intense election ever. And I'm like, for you. It's always been like, yeah, it's always been that. I think for those of us in marginalized communities, it Mm -hmm. has elections have always been this push pull dynamic of you don't matter because you're saying all the time with your legislation and your decisions of things that I don't matter. So why the hell should I care about you? Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to vote. My vote doesn't matter. 
And at the same time with that, the idea of depending on who wins, I'm either going to die tomorrow or die next week, but I'm still Mm -hmm. dying. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's been a longstanding phrase that I've heard and said myself almost my whole life, which is the lesser of two evils. And so if the election has always felt like the lesser of two evils and like you're never really getting what you wanted, then this election is no different than any other election. But it is. I mean, is it? Okay. So, okay, here's the thing. But wait, but wait, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Four years ago and five, six years ago during just the campaigning time, I don't care about Trump. I'm not worried about Trump. I care and I'm worried about everyone who believes him, who follows him, and is willing and ready to dedicate their life choices to him and his values. He doesn't scare me. They do. He didn't kill Heather Heyer with a car in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They did. He didn't go to Gilroy and to a Walmart in Texas and shoot a bunch of people just because they were brown. They did. Mm -hmm. And so... I understand that he should be held responsible for backing them, for inciting them, for supporting them, but he is one and they are so many. So when we talk about the election results, it's not what Trump is going to do. It's what are all the people out waiting for the results who need him, need him to win. What are they going to do? And so I just, it reminds me of the conversation about scarring. Mm-hmm. And how it breeds inflexibility and it breeds the fighting part, because that's what's that's what has been really hard about the last four or five years is that people who I needed to ground me in their peace, to ground me in the way that they saw the world as full of possibility and full of hope, no longer had it for me to be inspired with. My mom says the most violent and horrific things about people, places, and things related to this current administration. I have never seen or heard or felt my mom so angry, so sad, so defensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And lots of people's parents and grandmas and grannies are like, you know, like fired up. Like, I don't want to be fired up. You know, like I, I want to be to the point of the TikTok you know, uh, star <laughs> living the dream. Yeah. I want to be living the serene dream and, Sipping and on cranberry. Yes. And that has not <laughs> been what we have been doing. And no. it's really hard to get out of this fight. This has been the longest breakup with white supremacy that I have mm-hmm. ever seen. And when you're in a long breakup, you're like, please, no, it's, we're not getting back together. Please, <laughs> please. You're not good for me. And I'm not good for you. Don't you see this? Mm-hmm. You know? And it's just so painful to see it, to be a part of it, like all of it. And, and it's, it's, um, you know, you mentioned that the Dodgers won the World Series. We should note that, um, yes. that the Dodgers won the World Series in the middle of a pandemic and one of their most important players couldn't even play after the uh, eighth inning because he tested positive for COVID and had to immediately be quarantined. Okay, so this was the World Series. And right after the Doyers, D-O-Y-E-R-S, won, Los Doyers win the World Series and there's partying and celebration in the streets to the point where a semi gets taken over and, and ransacked by people in the streets. And this is celebrating. Yeah. So, so you can imagine then 
that potentially if Biden and Harris win and they're celebrating, the same thing's going to happen. So to your point, win or lose, shit's going to go down. Yeah, yeah. We invited all of our single friends to come sit in the backyard because we were like, we don't want you to be alone on this night. Like, this is the worst night to be at home alone. Like, what are you going to do? Freak out by yourself at home? Like, just come sit in the backyard. We'll build a fire. We'll bring out the iPads. We'll, we'll watch the returns in the backyard and at least have, you know, company uh, amongst each other, however socially distant and chilly it might be. It's not that chilly in Los Angeles, but it's a little, a little brisk. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I know that like, is Biden a dream candidate? Absolutely not. He's not even a rebound, but he's going to operate within the confines of what we know and understand democracy to operate in. And Donald Trump is an autocratic fascist dictator. And so there is no democracy in that process. There's no, he's thrown the rule book out. He's playing against the rule every single day. There's something like, well, that just has never been heard of in presidential politics. A president has never done this, acted this way, said these things, done yeah. these kinds of things. So I would just like to get back to like the rules. I may not have agreed with the rules before, but I didn't just chuck them out, baby, with the bathwater. Like the whole idea is that like, at least I know what the parameters are in order to feel empowered or enfranchised in this world and in the Donald Trump world, it's kind of a free for all. And like, it's really hard to navigate the free for all. Like there's just people walking around in the streets with guns. Like that is not something that happens. There's just like people giving away spinny mops without <laughs> getting any money for it. Like if you, if, you can, if you can walk around with your with your gun in the streets, why can't I just give away my spinny mop? My spinny mop. <laughs> so what I'm hearing from you is that yeah. you can change the game as long as there's still rules to the game that we're playing. Mm -hmm. It's about regulation. It's about knowing. It's about the anticipation and knowing that there are some things that are off limits. There are some things yeah. that are essentially sacred. Mm -hmm. And when you mess with things that are sacred, you don't get the spinny mop because no. I'm doing a karma credit. And <laughs> let me tell you, your karma credit score is not good. <laughs> You have not saved enough animals or helped people or given money to fundraisers or protests or marched in the street. So no spinning mop for you. <laughs> Aaron, my love for you. I didn't realize it even had the capacity to grow anymore. And let me tell you, I still don't know. I love you just about the same uh, as I did both when we first started. At least you haven't, yep, yep, can't measure it. Um, well, you haven't lost any. And so that's good. Your karma score is really good with me. Your friendship score with me is like real high. Um, so we will talk again one last time before the end of the calendar year. And, okay. um, and hopefully by then we'll know who's president. And um, we'll be able to share how things went. Um, 
I wonder what if if the ocean spray cranberry, um, you know, uh, skateboarding on the freeway peak serenity man. I wonder what his plans are for the election night returns, Um, because I think I just want to do whatever he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I unfortunately don't think that I can, but um, I'm at least going to have some cranberry juice. Okay, so I think that you and I should make sure that on election day, on Tuesday, we have a moment where we cheers uh, yes. the moment with yeah. cran raspberry ocean spray juice. Um, please wear your best gray sweatshirt um, or white t-shirt as you already are. I think we're already just <laughs> like, we're already we're ready riding, for this. Going yeah. right back to let's, the old school style. Let's have a toast as the results start to come in so yeah. that we can be grounded in the TikTok serenity that we want yeah. to have. Mm-hmm. I like that. Because right. whatever happens with the election, you know, it's like Mal says, it doesn't matter if the water is cold or warm, if you're going to have to wade it in anyways. So we're going to have to wade in whatever the outcome of this election is. We're going to have to live through it. I'm sorry, so, did you just quote Chairman Mao? Yeah. <laughs> he had he had a quote about water? It doesn't yeah, matter like, if the water is cold or warm. The, if you have to wade in it anyways. So either way, you're going in the water. Why do you care what temperature it is? So you might as well dress appropriately. So it is about what you're wearing. Got it. Okay. Well, to the FOMOs and the YOLOs out there, these are two homos that are saying peace out. You've been listening to Been There, Done That, your pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human. Stay human.